I'm Devorah Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. Good morning, everybody. We're going to continue with our class discussing this time period that we're in between Pesach and Shavuos, which is called the days of the Omer, the days when we count, the days coming up to the holiday of Shavuos. The holiday itself, the name Shavuot means weeks. So it is a hint to us that it's the weeks before Shavuot that will actually determine how we experience this day of the giving of the Torah. In so many aspects in Judaism, the idea of preparing oneself and preparation is so important in terms of really being able to access the spiritual blessings and the connection to Hashem that we all want to have and hope for. I'm giving this class as a zechus for Rafua Shalema for Dina Bas Esther. Unfortunately, unfortunately, Rev. Noah Weinberg's wife, Rev. Sandina Weinberg, who was actually my teacher um, and mentor way back when, in my early days, when I was seeking more of an in-depth understanding of my roots of Judaism, she was there for me in every way and answered all of the questions that so many people throughout my journey told me Give it up. There's no answers. You're knocking your head against the wall, as they say in Yiddish. You're never going to find any answers. And Baruch Hashem, when I arrived at her school, Iyat, which stands for Isha Yerat Hashem Hiti Talal, a little school that she created in her neighborhood right across the street from her home. This is a woman who raised 12 children and at the same time was teaching a few of us, you know, women from all around who were interested in Yiddishkeit. She would run across the street and teach a class or two. And her door was always open. We learned so much from her example. And she should have a Rafua Shalema Rebetz Moinberg. You know, you gave so many people life, spiritual life, and continue to. And I used to joke when I got to eat, I said, wow, I'm finally in Club Med. I'm in Club Med for the soul. <laughs> Because I felt like my soul was finally getting, you know, the massage and the nourishment and everything that I'd already always been looking for. So thank you, Robertson Weinberg and Rafua Shalema. So I'm also giving this class um, based on a class by one of my teachers, again, from uh, Iyat from those days. Her name is Robertson Chaya Lugumski, originally from Britain, also a Balas Chuva and a tremendous teacher. So I'm going to try and share some of her insights on what we will call the incredible month of ER. And this is new material for me. So I hope that I make it clear and it's not too esoteric. Okay. So basically ER is the month where the majority of Sfirat HaOmer falls out. The counting that we're doing now takes place primarily in this month of ER. We know that the holiday begins in Nisan when we leave Egypt, and it extends to Sivan when we get the Torah. But this month is like a bridge between Nisan and Sivan. And again, it's the time where we really do the majority of our counting of the days. And of course, the idea is we're not just counting the days. We're trying to make every day count. We're really realizing yom tuvo mechadesh. Right? Hashem is mechadesh every single day. Every single day, he says, sunrise. Every single day is a new day, not connected in a sense to the past or the future, but it stands on its own as a day that we can renew ourselves. Hashem renews the world every moment, and he gives us that opportunity of renewal also at every moment. So we have this time period where we're supposed to be refining our midot, our character traits. And of course, we know that each week highlights a certain character trait, a certain element of the spherot, which is connected to different, working on different types of traits, 
right? And this is the time period. So ER is also connected to the letter Vav. Okay, everybody knows what the letter Vav looks like. It looks like a, a hook. And we know that the letter Vav always comes at the beginning of a word and means and, right? This and that. So Vav, which is a hook, interestingly, in not only the way it appears, but the way it, it's written and actually Vavim in Hebrew are hooks. That's how you say the word hook. So the idea of the word of the letter Vav is that it's the letter of connection. It connects one thing to the other. Just like ER is the month that connects Nisan to Sivan, again, like a bridge. Okay, so Vav is a connector. Now ER, just to hold this up for you, Last week, we talked about this idea that it has the names Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, and Rachel in it. And I didn't go into that too much, except to say that these avot and our imahot are like the chariot that basically brought Hashem down into the world through their teachings, through their behavior. And they are who we invoke when we bless our children, because somehow they're connected to this month of growth okay not somehow but it's clearly why clearly why their names are embedded in the month of er now the month er also stands for ani hashem this is hashem's name right the yud and the yud rofecha i am god your healer and when we talk about healing we talk about that when we need healing physically, it's a sign that something is off spiritually. Because what we're going to focus on in this class is that we cannot disconnect the physical world from the spiritual world. They are connected. They are reflections of each other. Okay? And the month of, uh, the month of ER is the month where we, we called it, it last week's class, it's also called Ziv, the month of illumination. It's the month where we can see most clearly this idea that the physical and spiritual world are connected and that it's within the physical world that if we open up our eyes, we can see that everything is connected, the physical and the spiritual. But we need to put on the right glasses. Okay, Vav is, so, so what does the letter Vav also connect us to? It connects us into the spiritual world. And it is the idea that the physical and spiritual world are connected. Okay, Vav is also called the letter of truth. So what is truth? Truth is the idea of making connections. Truth arrives when you make certain connections and you go, wow, aha, this is true, right? And you don't get truth. You can't get to truth unless you see connections, unless you see the connection primarily between the physical and spiritual world. And even in a physical way, we're here, you and I, because we're connected to the people that came before us. And of course, we are connected to the people who will come after us. So everything in the world has connections. And when we see the connections, that's when we arrive at truth. One of the ways that the physical and the spiritual world connect is that we know as Jews, and in the Torah, we're told this over and over again, that there's a connection between our physical performance of mitzvot and what occurs spiritually in our life, or if you like, what will be, be our spiritual reality. They're not separate. The physical and spiritual are intertwined, and one affects the other, whether it's what we do down here that affects the upper worlds, and then the upper worlds, so to speak, send back down what we're supposed to get based on our performance, based on how we do the mitzvot, based on our desire to want to connect. For example, in next week's Parsha, this week's Parsha is Parsha's Emor, 
But in next week's parsha, it talks about immediately about the mitzvah of Shemitah. And for those of you who don't know what Shemitah is, though it looks like all of you probably have heard of it. First of all, in Eretz Yisrael this year, this has been a year of Shemitah. But it is the mitzvah where a farmer has to let the land lie fallow. And of course, this is a very difficult thing to do because it means that you can't work the land and you have to depend completely on this idea again that if I follow Hashem's directives, even though it seems completely antithetical to logic, right? Somehow my field is going to have surplus in the future, if I let it go. And of course, this is a mitzvah that takes a tremendous amount of emun and bitachon. And there are actually places in Israel where you can actually see the promise coming true. I remember as a student at Iyat, they took us to, to this kibbutz called Kibbutz Komamius, if I remember correctly. And they had a whole museum showing how they kept Shemitah and they had pictures of the field right next to them that was right on the border of their field, which did not keep Shemitah that year. And it was all eaten up. The locusts or some kind of, you know, infestation of locusts had come and eaten up the entire field next door. And they were showing you a stark example and this, you know, this happens much more clearly in Eretz Yisrael, because we know that Hashem's presence is so much more intense there. And we know that when you don't keep the mitzvot in Eretz Yisrael, God warns over and over again, the land itself will vomit you out. It cannot tolerate unholy behavior on a holy land. Again, that physical and our spiritual is connected and it's dependent on our performance. So we saw this very clearly how, you know, literally you could, it was like a ruler line that the locust didn't touch anything on the side where the Shemitah was being kept and on the other side, it was being eaten up alive. Amazing. Anyway, so the idea again is that somehow our physical behaviors do affect what goes on in our lives and what goes on uh, spiritually and even materially. Because we know, we, we studied the Shema together and we know that it says, God says in the second paragraph, if you will keep my mitzvot, then what does he say? I'm going to send you rain and I'm going to send you wine. And of course, we ask the question, well, aren't the, isn't the reward for mitzvahs in the next world, right? We've said before that you could never pay in this world for even one little mitzvah that a person does because it's, it, it, you can't. It's, it, 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 is, it, it can't be translated into anything physical, the reward for a mitzvah. So what's the Shema telling us? It's saying, if you do my mitzvah and you keep my Torah, I'm going to send you this material prosperity so that you'll be able to do more mitzvot, so that you'll be able to give tzedakah, so that you'll be able to, so to speak, have the peace of mind to be able to pursue your spiritual pursuits because your financial well-being is taken care of, right? And this is the reward, mitzvah, goreris mitzvah, that you'll be able to do one mitzvah after the other. So the reward in the Shema is a physical reward because the physical and the spiritual are connected. Now we know that this is a very simplistic idea because we know that there are people who are very righteous, who keep the mitzvot faithfully and their lives do not look, you know, we're not jealous of their lives. They don't necessarily have plenty. Their kids didn't necessarily turn out well. Things happen that we don't understand. And then you have other people who don't do anything, right? Who aren't connected at all to Hashem, who don't even know he exists or would prefer to ignore him. And, you know, they live the life of Riley, right? They're having a great time in this world. And we look at them and we say, hey, what's going on here? This doesn't seem to fit with our concept that 
somehow what we get is connected to our physical performance of mitzvot, right? So we have to understand that this is something we can't figure out. There are many factors and reasons for when this happens, but generally speaking, we do have this principle that Hashem sends us what we need in order to do more mitzvot when we are committed to this life of mitzvot because we know that it is a connector between us and the spiritual world because we know that there is a direct um, relationship and influence that's going on between the physical and the spiritual. It's interesting, you know, just to give you an example of it that always amazes me when I'm in shul on Shabbos, but, you know, all week long, we say that what we do down here, right, six days of the week we work, what we do down here affects, you know, we send it up, so to speak, to Hashem, our behaviors, our actions, our mitzvahs, and then Hashem returns, so to speak, you know, very clearly and directly in terms of his understanding of us and our intentions, et cetera, et cetera, what we need or what we deserve, if you like. On Shabbos, the flow is different. And you know where you see it? In the Musa Shimona Esrei, we say the words, Tikanta Shabbat Ratzita Karbanoteha Sivita Perusheha. Look in your sitter next time you're in shul. You'll see that the letters of each of those words is the aleph backwards. Tikanta, Shabbat, Ratzita, Taf, Shin, Reish, Kuf. Okay, get it? And what I heard and understood, and I don't know the source, is the idea is that on Shabbat, Hashem is the first. He, we stop doing, right? We stop doing, in essence, on Shabbat. And Hashem initiates the flow. Now it's a, it, instead of going from here up to there, now the flow is coming from Hashem, right? Shabbat is the day of blessing. On Shabbat, he's just showering down upon us. And then we respond, so to speak. We take that energy of Shabbat with us into the six days and start sending it back up again. But on Shabbat, the flow changes direction. And Hashem is pouring down shefa or bounty or blessing on us. Okay. ER is the month when we can realign ourselves and make ourselves healthy. Ani Hashem Rofecha. I'm God, your healer. Physically and spiritually. And we do this by seeing the connection between what we do and what an incredible influence we have in the world through our doing. You know, one of the great lessons of Yiddishkeit, and we talked about this last week a little bit, is how much each of us counts individually. You know, all these beautiful ideas that if one letter of the Torah is missing, we can't, we don't have a kosher Torah. And so too, if one Jew is not plugged in, right? If one Jew is not realizing their incredible importance as part of this incredible people, Klal Yisrael, then we can't reach our destination. We can't get to our goal. So ER is the month to recognize that what you do as an individual is so important. You can affect the balance of the world, right? On Rosh Hashanah, we talk about the month of, right, um, the month of Elul, right? When we have the scales and your next act can tip the scale for good or tip the scale for the negative, for, the, um, for making God less clear in the world or for bringing God's light more into the world, that you as a single individual have that capacity. And this flies and goes in the face of what we learn growing up in the secular world, right? I always used to say, I remember when I went to University of Toronto, they gave me a number. And every single time I went anywhere or did anything, I plugged in my number. I wasn't a name, I was a number. And of course, we know that this was the way that the Nazis dehumanized humans, 
by giving them a number. And we know that in Judaism, we're not supposed to count Jews, right? We say, you know, you can hear little kids, they'll say not one, not two, not three, not four, because to, to reduce a person to a number is to take away their sense of supreme importance. So this is part of ER, where we get back in touch, like we said last week, the time when we're counting, nobody else can do it for us. We go from a group coming out of Egypt, we end up as a group receiving the Torah, but the light right now is focused on each individual Jew working to develop him or herself so that when we come back together to accept the Torah, we're much, much greater, right? We're much, much greater because we've paid attention to the unique aspect of ourselves and those areas where we, each one of us, need to develop more, right? As we've said in other classes, some people are naturally chesed, right? Out there, doing, loving to give. But they have trouble with gavura. They have trouble saying no. They have trouble setting boundaries. They have trouble being able to be firm, right? Or you have the opposite. You have people who are very firm and very disciplined. But... And they don't understand other people who aren't. And it can degenerate into cruelty and impatience. So they need to work more on the opposite side of chesed, being compassionate. Right? So, and, you know, generally speaking, every bad mita is always connected to arrogance. I could say that whatever the bad mita is, there's a certain arrogance of you should be like me right? Or I'm okay, you're not okay. And when we throw, you know, the idea of growth on other people, and we forget that the only person we can control, and the only person who we can expect from is ourselves. And the more we do that, the more we become happy and strong inside ourselves, the more we look to Hashem for our self-worth and not to other people. Because if we know what we're doing right or trying to do right, we can be guaranteed that Hashem also knows. Hashem doesn't judge by the results. Hashem judges by the effort. According to the effort is the reward and the results are never in our hands. The results are totally dependent on whatever Hashem wants the results to be. So it's the efforts that nobody else sees and nobody else knows about. And that's why our self-worth has to come from the work we do to build our inner world, to build our inner connection to Hashem, not on what everybody else around us, you know, thinks, says, they give us the wrong kind of look that day. They say a comment that they shouldn't have. We can't uh, draw our self-identity from those kind of things that are so fluctuating. Okay. All right. That's the class on self-esteem. You can always find it on my uh, podcast on accessing your best self. Okay. So Vav is the letter of truth. And I've said this before, Emet, the word for truth in Hebrew, Aleph, Mem, Taf, the first letter of the alphabet, the middle letter of the alphabet, and the last letter of the alphabet. In other words, truth means seeing the whole picture. It means seeing the connection between things. We are very small. We are small people. It's very difficult for us to see the connection all the time between the physical and the spiritual world. But if you stand on a ladder, Obviously, when you stand on a ladder, you can see more of the area below. So too, the bigger you are, the greater you are, the more connections you see between keeping the mitzvahs and how it actually affects not only your world, but the world at large and the spiritual world, obviously, that they're connected. So ER is also a cognate. Now, this is a new topic, okay? This is a little more interesting, and I didn't know this concept before. But 
ER is also a cognate of two other words because as Revison Ladomsky explained, the letter Yud and the letter Vav are actually the same letter, right? We can say that the letter Yud is a teeny weeny little Vav. And all we have to do is extend the leg down and we get the letter Vav. And interestingly, even in the name of Hashem that we don't mention, right? We don't say that name. Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey. It's an indication that Yud, which is the upper worlds, that Hashem was in the upper worlds, is connected. The Hey is Hashem, right? Is connected to the physical world, to the lower worlds. Now, this was a very radical idea that Judaism brought into the world. Other religions say, you know, God is up there and he's not really interested in this world. He doesn't have anything to do with it, even if he's interested in it. He's not really involved in it. Judaism says, no, the upper and the lower worlds are completely interconnected. And as I said before, they're a reflection of each other. And Hashem is so involved in such a detailed way, as I've said in many classes, that any leaf that falls from a tree only falls because Hashem says, now, fall, right? It says that grass grows only because Hashem has an angel by each blade of grass telling it to grow. So this is what Judaism gave to the world, this idea that Hashem is in such detail interested in every aspect and if this is so with nature then how much more so with our lives and our behaviors and that we can actually influence the upper worlds and we have that power to do that and when we're out of alignment we're not being able to do our job properly so this time period, again, is the time where we can realign ourselves. But let's talk about the Yud and the Vav. So if you elongate one of the Vavs in the letter of, in the word ER, you get the word Or, which means light. Another thing is if we elongate both Vavs, we get the word avir, which in English means air. So there's something about the name ER that tells us about light and air, or and avir. And what it's telling us is that the light of Torah begins to shine very, very brightly in this month because we know that the Torah is called Torah or, right? Torah is the light. The light of Torah begins to shine more brightly in this month. And we're even told that the air of the world, and of course we know physically, right? In our natural world, we've got sunshine. Look at Shelly's out there on her porch, enjoying the beautiful day with that gorgeous tree behind her. We went to High Park this past Mother's Day to see the beautiful cherry blossoms. This is the month where the world begins to really bloom. The light becomes brighter. And we're told that even the air of the world becomes clearer, becomes cleaner. And we're able to function optimally, optimally at this time of year. We can actually go out for a walk. If you're Canadian, oh, you're all very relieved, right? Canadians are in their shorts and whatever. They, summer's here, you know, and I joke, I look at my tulips and I go, we, you know, hurry up, winter's coming. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh no, winter's coming. God forbid. No, we really enjoy and appreciate it. And we really do feel that we have been revitalized, that we're alive again. So we know that Torah is also compared to water. And water is something that we know we need it to survive. It makes up 90% of our bodies and it's very, very important. But we also need light. Light is extremely important. 
We know that the sunlight produces photosynthesis and this allows the plants to give off oxygen. So we see that light and air are very much interconnected. They're very closely related, just like the word in Hebrew, or when we take the vav down, and avir, light and air. Torah is called Torah or the mitzvahs are called ner mitzvah Torah or. In other words, the candle of a mitzvah is connected to the light of the Torah, that the mitzvah itself brings light into the world. A small mitzvah pushes away much darkness, just like one little candle in a dark room chases away the darkness. The same is true of air, right? Without air or oxygen, we know we can't survive. Or if oxygen is very low, it's very hard to get vitality into our system. And of course, we learned this with the coronavirus. You know, what people mainly went through who suffered in a very extreme way with the virus is the fact that they couldn't get oxygen. Their bodies somehow were not able to absorb it. You remember that story I told, a true story about a man, a firm man that went into the hospital and he was on oxygen for months and months and months. And, you know, when he was leaving the hospital, they gave him a bill for, I don't know, $15,000, let's say. And he said, he started to cry and he said, you know, this is unbelievable. And his wife and his children and everybody else said, don't worry about it. You know, we have people, we have support. People will take care of the bill. It's, it's going to be okay. I know it's a lot of money, but don't worry, we'll take care of it. And the man said, that's not why I'm crying. He said, I'm crying because I had no idea that breathing is worth $15,000 for three months. And here I take for granted every breath that I take for free. So this concept of breath and breathing and oxygen, again, is very physical in that it keeps us alive physically. But here we're talking about air and oxygen having a spiritual concept. Light and air are essential for life, just like water. Okay, so let me try to explain how this relates to this time period that we're in. Hey, a beautiful idea concept in Judaism is that something which is about to happen can already begin to shine its light into the present situation. So it's like we're working up to Shavuot, but Shavuot is actually casting its light where we are right now in the present moment. And the example that is very easy to express this is Shabbat. Okay? There's a concept that on that at Chatzot, Erev Shabbos, 12 noon, let's say, before Shabbat comes in, a person should already begin to stop because the light of Shabbos is already shining backwards into the present moment. So for example, there are people who will stop working if they can and come home from work you know, not race into their driveway two seconds before their wife is, is starting to light the candles, but they recognize that the light of Shabbos is already there. So they'll make sure to stop their workday early so that they can come home and welcome Shabbos like a mensch. Another idea, which I learned from the esteemed Revitzin Dina Weinberg, she should have a Rafua Shalema. I remember her telling me as a bus bias in her house, I used to wash the dishes. I used to cook in there. That's where you get the best training, right? There's book learning. And then there's the mama, you know, the mama who really teaches you how to salt the chickens and, you know, you, the mother's milk that, that you really learn Yiddish type from. So Rebetz and Weinberg, I guess maybe I was hungry and I wanted to make myself a sandwich. It was already two or three in the afternoon. And she said, you know what? There's a very strong custom not to wash on bread before Shabbat. First of all, there's the idea that you should be hungry for the Shabbat meal, not starving, not ravenous, but you certainly shouldn't be full because you won't look forward to the meal, no matter what time it's going to be. But even the idea that she said, you know what? 
you're washing tonight for Shabbat. We don't do that three, four, five hours before Shabbat's coming. The light of Shabbos is already upon us. Save that for Shabbat. So that's the idea. So that's why we have this concept that, you know, and I even saw it recently in a more mundane way. I, I guess it was, I don't know, actually this week, I think I called my sister and I said, hey, do you want to go for a walk? And it was like nine or 10 in the morning. And she said, well, you know, my son, Jared's coming home. He's away in Spain, you know, studying there. She said, he's going to be home at around four o'clock today. I don't really think I can do it. And of course, I'm thinking, you know, four o'clock, like, what are you doing all day? But it was like, she was already in that place of anticipation, you know, that I want to be here. I want every, you know, I want to prepare myself. I want, I'm excited about it. This is what my day is leading up to. So it gave me sort of a, a very more mundane idea of the light of his arrival is already shining upon her in her present moment. Right. And I can't appreciate it. Right. I can't really appreciate that. Okay. So again, the light of Matan Torah this light that we're talking about, this ore that we find in the word ER, right? Interesting, I, I want to tell you a cute story. This light of Matan Torah is already beginning to shine in ER. And the day that it shines the most brightly is on the 33rd day of the Omer, Lagba Omer. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. One of the things that, um, that Rebison Lugumski said is if you look at the word ER and you change the you know the vowels underneath it actually looks like it could read air right or ear in Brooklyn they pronounce air ear and I'll tell you a cute story when we lived in Brooklyn of course we had Canadian accents and I always joke that you know my kids were getting used to the Brooklyn way of speaking one of my daughters was working really hard on it. And I kept saying, stop working so hard on this accent. It's not the most beautiful accent, okay? And you know what? Not, you know, a lot of the world doesn't sound like this in English. Anyway, I remember them coming home from school and their teacher was giving them a spelling test. And she said, okay, I'd like you to write the word ear, ear. So they wrote E-A-R. And anyway, they said that they got it wrong. Because then the teacher put that word in a sentence that she said, the ear is wonderful to breathe. Okay, that was the Brooklyn accent, you know, <laughs> in reality. And so, you know, my girls complained. They said, wait a second, you said ear. <laughs> you know? It's air. Okay, but we see we could read it ear. We could read it air. And it still makes sense. Okay. <clears throat> So the light of Matan Torah begins to shine on the 33rd day of the month. Um, oh my goodness. Okay, we started late though, so I can keep you a little longer. Can I? A drop longer. Okay. So the light of Matan Torah shines. And the 33rd day of the Omer is a day when the spiritual and physical connection are the most revealed in the world. This idea that the spiritual, spiritual and physical world are one. Three things happened on that day. The first thing that happened is that was the day when the man, the manna, began to fall in the desert. The Jews had come out of Egypt, right? We know the story. They were in the desert. There was no food there. God sent them this miraculous food, this man. And the amazing thing about the man is that nothing was left over. There was no waste. You ate the man and it was completely absorbed into your body. There was no waste. In other words, it was a physical food, but it was in a way, it was physical and spiritual at the same time because it was complete spiritual nourishment as well. It was completely absorbed into the physical body. Right Today, we, we eat food, we have waste because there's impurities, there's things that we don't need, and we don't have that complete physical and spiritual oneness that the man represented, okay? And the Torah is the same, in a way, as this man. 
the Torah is physical and spiritual as well. In other words, the Torah is words that are written on a cloth. A cloth is animal skin. You can't get any more physical than animal skin, okay? The letters are written in the Torah by a physical human being with physical ink. We read it with our lips and our tongues, which are obviously physical. And yet the Torah is absorbed within us spiritually. It gives us spiritual nourishment. It feeds our soul. So the same thing that is physical that we can touch and we can hold and we create, right, is a combination and the ultimate connection of physicality and spirituality. And the light of Hashem is what shines through the Torah. And the Chassam Sofer says that the, the day of Lagba Omer is when the light is the brightest. Why is that? Again, number one, because it's the day that the man fell, the physical, spiritual food. Number two, it was the day that Rabbi Akiva's students stopped dying. We know that there was a terrible plague, 24,000 students or partners 12,000 partners, Chavrusas, Rabbi Akiva students who taught, you should love another person the way you love yourself, right? This is the whole Torah. This is what it's all built on. And 24,000 students perished between Pesach and Shavuot and stopped dying. The plague ended on the day of Lagba Omer. Now, we can talk about this in many, many ways, but this is a new idea that I've never presented. It says on what is death? Death is the separation of the physical and the spiritual. It's when the physical and spiritual are ripped apart from each other. So this was what was going on until Lugba Omer. Lugba Omer, which is a day of connection, the day when the physical and spiritual were revealed in the world as being one. That's the day also that Rabbi Akiva students stopped dying, right? So in a sense, that calamity of ripping apart the physical and spiritual world was ended. The third thing that happens, and, and so the light, the, sorry, the light of Lagba Omer allows us to see more clearly Hashem's presence in the physical world. The third thing was, it was the day of the Hilula, or Yortzite, of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. And I'm sure you've heard lectures on Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Basically, let's just say that when he left the world, all of the Torah that he was a vessel for was released into the world on that day. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was the one who revealed the teachings of the Zohar. He understood, we're told, the crowns of all that, were, that are on certain letters in the Torah. He was able to understand them. The more esoteric, Kabbalistic parts of the Torah, whose real theme, actually, whose main theme is actually this idea of the incredible love that this world is permeated with and specifically the love that Hashem has for every single Jew. Just an allusion to this, we know that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was buried on Har Meron. The week that he was buried in, the week of Lagba Omer, corresponds to a rimon, a pomegranate, no coincidence that the same letters in Meron and Rimon are identical, okay? Each of the weeks of Sphirasa Omer, the seven weeks, correspond to a different species that grows in Eretz Yisrael. The month of Lagba Omer comes out in the, month, in the week of pomegranate. And Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai taught that every single Jew, the most simple Jew, contains within him more mitzvot than the Rimon have pomegranate seeds. And this is the way we should view each other, bursting with goodness, because that's the way Hashem 
sees every Jew. And this is how we get to the place of when we recognize our own specialness and we love ourselves and we realize how exceptional we are, then we can begin to see the specialness and the light and exceptionality in every Jew and the potential that's there that we should only feel pity and compassion for when it isn't being realized, right? When it's stunted, when it's bottled up, when it's unable to express itself. And of course, we all are bottled up and unable to express ourselves fully because until Mashiach comes and until the world is filled with light, that's the way that it will be. Okay, so ER is the month when the light and the oxygen increase, but we have to be a vessel to be able to receive it, right? There can be more light and more oxygen, but we can't handle it because we know that if you wake up in the middle of the night and you open your eyes, it's normal that you can't see. But what about when you quickly open the light? Well, strangely enough, you still can't see. You can't see until your eyes begin to adjust to the light, correct? It takes a few minutes till you can actually see again, even with the light. Just an interesting side point. I once Googled why pirates wear patches on their eye, right? Why does every single pirate have a patch? I mean, did every single one of them lose an eye? Is that what happened? Well, that doesn't really make sense. So the great Hiddish actually corresponds to this idea that I'm teaching is that it takes time for the eye to adjust, not only to being able to see in the dark, if you happen to wake up and you could actually begin to make out, you know, some shadows and, and things in your room, but also when you're exposed to light suddenly. A pirate wears a patch on his eye all the time. Why? Because he may have to fight in the gully of the ship. And the gully of the ship is very dark. So what he does is when, he's down, when he goes down there to fight, he quickly moves his patch to the other eye. And this eye is already completely attuned to darkness. So he's able to see in the dark and he has that advantage over his opponents of being able to go from the light into the dark and be able to function there at his best. Now, if I taught you nothing else today, ladies, <laughs> you can tell your grandchildren, ask anybody, why do pirates wear patches? And everybody said, well, didn't they lose an eye? I mean, <laughs> isn't that why? What, every single pirate? You know, anyway, you can Google it. It's there. Okay. So this is the idea. So the idea is because of the light, right? That comes on quickly. You can't see because your eyes can't adjust. So the idea is spiritually that it's possible that there's this incredible spiritual light in the world, but we can't see it. Just like our eyes can't adjust to the light in the room after it's been dark. It's something that's a process, right? If you look at the sun, you can become blinded by it. If you look directly into the sun, because <clears throat> we can't receive too much light. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> now, what about air? We said that the air increases the oxygen levels increase in this month of ER and as we move closer to Shavuos. And this is saying also that <clears throat> there are a lot of books written. I was just listening to somebody talk about anybody who's taken yoga classes, right? It's all about learning how to breathe. We don't breathe right. <clears throat> we don't breathe deeply enough. We don't use our diaphragm when we speak. There are books this thick teaching you how to breathe. Breathe through your nose, fill up your lungs, expand yourself. 
It's something that one has to learn. It doesn't come naturally. Sure, we breathe, but are we breathing and taking the most out of breath, out of oxygen that we could for, for you know, optimum health? Probably not. So in this month, we have oxygen and we have light that's more accessible, but we have to learn how to broaden ourselves so that we can take in more of the light and the air. And so that when Shavuos arrives, we're more open to receiving the Torah. We know this in mundane life, <clears throat> that so much of the way we feel or experience the world has to do with whether we're feeling broad or whether we're feeling narrow. And the example that Rebetzin Lugomsky gives, which I think is a great example if you live in Israel, is she says one day she can get on an Israeli bus and everybody's pushing and shoving and jostling. And as my friend used to say when I first came to Israel as a kid, her mother used to say to me, sharpen your elbows, you're going on the bus. You, know? you got to sharpen your elbows in Israel. There's no such thing as a line, right? There's a clump of people getting on the bus. So she says, you know, when she's feeling broad and wide, she gets on the bus and everybody's pushing her and she's thinking, ah, it's so great living in Eretz Yisrael. It's so wonderful that everybody's Jewish. It's so wonderful that we're all like family, you know, and we just push each other and do what families do to each other. She said, but then the very next day she could get on the very same bus and everybody's doing the same thing. And she's thinking to herself, Oh, these Israelis are so rude, you know, and, and can't they make a line? And doesn't everybody know about, you know, and she's from Brit Britain, she's from England, right? I mean, that's Canada, you know, uh, with a times two, right? Or integer, whatever it's called, that thing on the top, squared, right? In terms of politeness. And she's, you know, and she said, isn't it interesting how your reaction can be totally different to the same experience when you're having a bad day, a bad day meaning you're narrow, your mind is, your perspective is more limited, right? Yesterday, she saw the bus as a close family jostling each other and feeling right at home. And the very next day, it was annoying and it was bad behavior and it was rude. So the way we respond to things depends to a large part on ourselves and the Torah and Shavuos, which we're heading up to, can only be received to the extent that we broaden ourselves to receive it. And that's what these days leading up to it, these weeks of preparation are all about. They're about making ourselves broader, about understanding what the mitzvot are there for, what they're supposed to do for us. And just the last idea that I want to give you is, you know, when we head to Shavuot, it's not just about, you know, let me check off how many mitzvot I'm doing. You know, let's say there's 613 mitzvot. You know, I do these, I, I, I do these mitzvahs. I make sure I, you know, do what Hashem wants. I make sure I don't do what Hashem doesn't want. And basically I can check off all the mitzvot. She said, this is not what Shavuot is about. Shavuot is that there's more to the Torah than just the mitzvot. And again, of course, keeping the mitzvot and doing what Hashem wants is Torah. But there's more. It's like the, um, what is it? The, the sum of the parts is, the, 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 the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, right? There's 613 parts, but the whole, what, what comes from those mitzvot, the magic, the spiritual connection, the blessing, all of that is more than the do's and the don'ts. You know, when a person isn't religious and they look at Shabbos and they think about all the restrictions, all the do's and the don'ts, it sounds like the most oppressive day of the week and I can't go here and I can't go there and I can't turn on my TV and I can't cook and I got to have everything ready and I've got to be right but people who actually keep the Shabbat and especially people who keep it you know to the T with the details it becomes the most the day of the most freedom 
right? Spiritually speaking, it's the time when the soul is able to take the forefront. The body's given all of the delights and the pleasures, the food and the clothing, so that the soul can, so to speak, you know, come to the fore. And this is the idea of all the mitzvot. So, you know, it's not that I do the mitzvot. I don't do what Hashem wants because I don't want him to zap me, you know, or I'm doing it because I'm hoping to bribe Hashem that, you know, if I do everything, you're, you're going to give me the good stuff. You're going to send it down because that's the deal, right? But rather I'm doing it because I, who am a physical being with a spiritual soul, want to experience what we call the emet, the vav, the connection. This is the month of connection. We want to experience what that is, that through the conduit, which is the mitzvah, right? And we said the word mitzvah has the word sub in the middle, which actually means connection. That these are the ways, these are the um, pathways that we're able to connect to Hashem, which is greater than the sum of all of its parts. So that it becomes that it's not just the mitzvot that we do, but even in between the mitzvot, even things that we do that are not mitzvot, right? Going to sleep at night. It's not a mitzvah. It's something we have to do physically. But even our sleep becomes a connection between Hashem and ourselves because we're sleeping in order to wake up with energy to be able to do the mitzvot, to be able to learn Torah, as you women are doing when you come on this class, to be able to teach and fill ourselves up with spiritual nourishment so that we can go into our very physical day and that everything we do is colored by the new knowledge by, you know, the spring in our step that comes from knowing what we're living for, that each one of us is so incredibly important. Each one of us makes a difference in this world. And so the last idea I want to say is that ER enables us to experience this more. And Lagba Omer enables us to reach Shavuos. And just an interesting idea that there's 32 days that we count that come before Lagba Omer. We know Lagba Omer is the 33rd day. 32 are the letters Lamed Bet, which means lave, heart. After Lagba Omer, there's 17 days until Shavuot. 17 is the gematria, the numerology of the word tov, good. This is an allusion to the idea that when we develop a lave tov, a good heart or an understanding heart, a heart that sees the connection between the physical and spiritual world, between our behaviors and what happens in our lives as individuals, what Hashem brings down from the upper world with the vav connected to the lower world, and realizing that Hashem wants to reflect goodness into this world and to shine his light and his oxygen, if you like, increase the air capacity for all human beings so that we can live on this broader level of being able to see more light and breathe more deeply and live with that physical and spiritual connection within and outside, revitalized within us and all around us. So that's my blessing to all of us during this time period. Next week, I think is going to be Lagba Omer, that we continue to try to reach up to the light and realize that Hashem will help us. He will help us get there because it's the effort that matters. And with the efforts come um, the ability to not only shine our own light more, more, more luminously on the world, but for Hashem through us to shine his light into the world. Okay, thank you so much for listening.
Are there any questions?